Introduction It is dark. I come to your office but can't find you. Your office is empty. I enter and look around. The only thing there is your Panama hat, and it is all filled with cobwebs. My patient's dreams have changed. Cobwebs fill my hat. My office is dark and deserted. I am nowhere to be found. My patients worry about my health. Will I be there for the long haul of therapy? When I leave for vacation, they fear I will never return. They imagine attending my funeral or visiting my grave. My patients do not let me forget that I grow old, but they are only doing their job. Have I not asked them to disclose all feelings, thoughts, and dreams? Even potential new patients join the chorus and without fail greet me with the question, Are you still taking on patience? One of our chief modes of death denial is a belief in personal specialness, a conviction that we are exempt from biological necessity and that life will not deal with us in the same harsh way it deals with everyone else. I remember many years ago visiting an optometrist because of diminishing vision. He asked my age and then responded, Forty-eight, eh? Yep, you're right on schedule. Of course I knew, consciously, that he was entirely correct, but a cry welled up from deep within. What schedule? Who's on schedule? It is altogether right that you and others may be on schedule, but certainly not I. And so it is daunting to realize that I am entering a designated later era of life. My goals, interests, and ambitions are changing in predictable fashion. Eric Erickson, in his study of the life cycle, described this late life stage as generativity, a post-narcissism era when attention turns from expansion of oneself toward care and concern for succeeding generations. Now as I have reached seventy, I can appreciate the clarity of Erickson's vision. His concept of generativity feels right to me. I want to pass on what I have learned, and as soon as possible. But offering guidance and inspiration to the next generation of psychotherapists is exceedingly problematic today because our field is in such crisis. An economically driven healthcare system mandates a radical modification in psychological treatment, and psychotherapy is now obliged to be streamlined, that is, above all, inexpensive, and perforce, brief, superficial, and insubstantial. I worry where the next generation of effective psychotherapists will be trained, not in psychiatry residency training programs. Psychiatry is on the verge of abandoning the field of psychotherapy. Young psychiatrists are forced to specialize in psychopharmacology because third-party payers now reimburse for psychotherapy only if it is delivered by low fee, in other words, minimally trained, practitioners. It seems certain that the present generation of psychiatric clinicians, skilled in both dynamic psychotherapy and in pharmacological treatment, is an endangered species. What about clinical psychology training programs, the obvious choice to fill the gap? Unfortunately, clinical psychologists face the same market pressures, and most doctorate-granting schools of psychology are responding by teaching a therapy that is symptom-oriented, brief, and hence reimbursable. So I worry about psychotherapy, about how it may be deformed by economic pressures and impoverished by radically abbreviated training programs. 
Nonetheless, I am confident that in the future, a cohort of therapists coming from a variety of educational disciplines, psychology, counseling, social work, pastoral counseling, clinical philosophy, will continue to pursue rigorous postgraduate training, and even in the crush of HMO reality, will find patients desiring extensive growth and change willing to make an open-ended commitment to therapy. It is for these therapists and these patients that I write The Gift of Therapy. Throughout these pages, I advise students against sectarianism and suggest a therapeutic pluralism in which effective interventions are drawn from several different therapy approaches. Still, for the most part, I work from an interpersonal and existential frame of reference. Hence, the bulk of the advice that follows issues from one or the other of these two perspectives.